Hey, welcome to Spooky South Coast. Kim Weisberg here with you, along with Stephanie Burke and the silent assassin Matt Costa. This is a special podcast-only edition of the program uh, because the Red Sox kept us off the air. We apologize for the audio quality. Uh, however, we are recording this uh, based just solely on our webcams, which is something that we try not to do, but uh, we've been forced into that situation. We are pleased to welcome our guest, a longtime friend of the program, and a personal friend, Robert Ethier. He is the author of the new book, Angels to Aliens, which is available now from Amazon.com. Welcome to the program, Bob, and uh, let's get right into the discussion. Uh, about three years ago, I started collecting stories. I was working at one of my uh, places of employment, and I happened to be carrying a book about UFOs, and one of the guys that worked in the office there said, oh, you need to talk to my wife. She was uh, she saw a UFO came out of the sky and got down near her car in, I think it was Missouri, in Tennessee-Missouri border. And um, she said uh, that it was very interesting. She watched it. She wasn't afraid. It was um, so distracting that eventually... Looking in a rearview mirror, she drove off the road, went, drove into a ditch, had, cut her eye open, had to run through a cornfield. The people in the home there took her to the hospital where she was treated, but she still remembers it. She said it was not a bad experience other than getting injured. But um, So that was the first story. I said, you know what, I'm going to document this, and that's what I did. And uh, from there, I began writing about the, uh, in the author's note, you'll see that in the late... 70s, I moved into a brand new house that we and you had to open the drawer at least an inch and a half to get the music to play, so it was baffling why it was playing. So uh, that went on until I removed the drawer and uh, it stopped. And then that playful spirit or whatever it was became more and more sinister. And it sounded like people were slamming windows at night. It sounded like someone was outside the house with a 10 pound sledgehammer just beating on the walls. And uh, then it it eventually became it involved something with my youngest son. He seemed to have an imaginary friend, and at one point, my wife and I had were laying in bed. We were both awakened almost at the same time by the sound of children playing in the kitchen. And it was a pitch black, dark night. When you read the story, you'll be amazed at the way it transpired. But uh, signs of any kids, I glanced in all the rooms and all. My two daughters were there, and my two sons were in their room and sound asleep. So this went on. It became more and more sinister. Uh, eventually, I had a, I had a uh, incident in the cellar. I made sure my family wasn't home. I walked down the cellar stairs, and this and knocking on your door. So I went down the stairs with a flashlight, left the lights off. I didn't open the cellar door, and I said, if something evil or you read it in the book I think I use the term the devil is in my cell prove it to me and the flashlight bulb burned out just blew out people I'm blessed and highly favored that's how I feel but there are times when you feel alone after writing this if you're you know if I shut it all down Um, I was in that position I felt that when I wrote that I think I wrote their feelings and felt the same way. So uh, in that particular case, and in all cases, uh, you know, I always say, hey, you know, 
watch out for me, don't let anything come home, or say a little Lord's Prayer or something like that. But uh, at times it's un- unnerving, but you can't, you got to have that faith that unwavers, and then you're protected, I think. And there is a dividing line that I think a lot of folks don't realize, that when you are an investigator, you want to remain objective. And you want to chronicle these things and investigate these things with an objective point of view because you don't want to get wrapped up in the story. You don't want to get wrapped up in people's emotional response because you you want to try to find the answer for them. And you want to be able to say to them, well, you're just scared, but in actuality, you know, it's a branch tapping on your window. Right. And you want to be able to have that kind of cold clinical methodology to it. But when you start becoming an author and you want to chronicle these stories in order to make it interesting for the reader and to do justice to the people whose story you're telling, you do have to put yourself into it. And you do have to experience it through their eyes. So it can change you not only as an investigator, but just as a person and how you experience and perceive paranormal activity. Absolutely. Came out of that closet. I believed that what they told me, they believed they saw. And I could see it in the fear. The lady that saw Bigfoot on 151 in Mashpee, she was still as upset that day, 25 years or so later than she was the day, the night it happened to her. And you actually mentioned in the beginning of the book that you're not going to insert your own theories uh, into it, that you're going to just let the people's experiences speak for themselves. But you must have some entities that, that exist out there that we just seem to be encountering because we're more open to those experiences. Well, <clears throat> driving over here tonight, I, I thought a lot about this the last couple of days because I know it's coming on the show, but driving over here tonight... I think I, I kind of summed it up for myself. I think it's what you said. There's a lot of different dimensions that click it at certain times. Because there's entities like shadow people, and some of them wear a hat. It's the hat man. And then you have the old hag syndrome. They're all in that one dimension, I think, where all these entities live, and they can come into this uh, reality through that way. Uh, I really think that Bigfoot is associa- associated with UFOs. I think that they come down from there. I don't think there's a cryptozoology thing where they're left over from the olden days or left over from the cavemen. I think, and I've read this since I was a kid. I was reading stories about this. I read one story in, in Northern California where people were in fire towers, and they claimed they saw UFOs landing with caves in the same realm. Yeah, it definitely seems like they, they all, like we look at an area like the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, some of the locations that I've been researching for the show that I'm working on, there seems to be places where that veil is thinner, and mm-hmm. so it's all easy for it all to come through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if that's the case, they're all coming through probably from the same place. They're never trying to rationalize or explain what happened to them. They're usually at a loss for understanding more than anything, but they're not... They're not coming at you and saying, you know, I know for sure now that there's life after death because of what happened to me. They're not saying to you that I know that there's something from another world because I saw this UFO. They're all just as baffled by it, recalling it later on, than they were when it actually happened. Yeah, I believe, I believe that too. I, none of them have theories. I, I'm still perplexed because I do ask people if they've ever had any. There's some people out there that have never had any paranormal experiences. They've never seen ghosts. They've never heard noises they can't explain. Yeah, we have a name for them. They're called liars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just having this conversation the other day. and um, Actually, it might have been earlier today and um, or yesterday. I can't remember now. Um, with that, those types, be open to it. 
they're so close-minded that they can't even fathom what's <coughs> happening to them, so they just ignore it completely. Right. Um, I've been in a room full of people and had something really serious paranormal happen, and nobody turns around. Nobody even blinks an eye, and I can't even understand. Here well, I am, like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. And a Pandora's box of what it means. Because it truly is a Pandora's box, and I tell people that all the time. When you open yourself up to this, you are truly opening yourself up to it. There is no turning back, really. Because once you're aware, you're aware. You can't ignore it anymore. And even, you know, people that I meet through my business, people I become friends with, things like that, I just had a girl, one of my very good friends who does work with me, yesterday call me and tell me you know things only happen to me when you're around or I'm like it's not it's that you're thinking about it and you're open to it when I'm around and that's why it's happening so it's it's not so much that doesn't exist it's just do you choose to pay attention to it or not so Bob you had mentioned in the book and and you told us here at the <coughs> top of the interview about the experience that you had when you built that house was that looking back can you categorize that as your first paranormal experience or did you have touches of it earlier in your life? I, I think uh, as a teenager um, I had some incidents camping in the woods at night and um, just stuff that you can't explain but never thought you know I'm like everybody else even when the music box started playing I started rationalize things now you couldn't get this thing out you couldn't open the drawer without getting it out of the box you had to pinch your fingers doesn't want to believe that's what it is and I said and he says well I don't believe in ghosts so I don't believe it happened to me I said did you ever stay there again he goes no I refuse to stay there <laughs> so how, do, how does that work right. so what you said a few minutes ago makes sense to me some folks think that they've got it all figured out and it's it's not so much fear of the unknown it's just fear of not knowing of what you know not being correct. Some people even stick in the same category as Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. Yeah, right. You know, it's it's something that everybody talks about, but it doesn't really exist. Well, how do we know it doesn't? Mm. Nobody's ever seen it. I mean, Jeff Belanger wrote a great article years ago that Santa Claus is real. Did and it? absolutely, because enough people have believed in it, it has become real. Now, right. is there an actual physical man that lives in the North Pole and comes down your chimney? No, but Santa Claus has become something, and I think that that's what happens with ghosts, aliens, mm -hmm. Bigfoot, angels, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not religious either. I, I don't even really think that I'm spiritual at all. But I don't know necessarily that there is uh, angels who work for God that are coming down and visiting people, but I know that there is some sort of benevolent force out there that is working toward helping people and that these are manifestations of that. Uh, these are uh, representatives and, and, and actual uh, to accept that they all exist. So I can't shut down from one to the next. I can't say, well, I believe in a ghost, but I, I can't wrap my head around a UFO. I believe in the fact that you know people can have ESP, but I don't believe that there's mysterious creatures we haven't discovered out in the woods yet. I have to open myself up umbrella and let it all fall down. And is that was there anything that you weren't, when you started collecting these stories or even before that, was there anything that you weren't willing to accept? Was there anything that was too far out there that you had to kind of adapt? Well, <clears throat> let me put it this way. There were a couple of people that told me a couple of stories that were just too bizarre. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't make any sense. And when I interview somebody, it's not that I don't believe them, but I ask them the same question in a lot of different ways. And not that I want to trap them. I just want to see if it really happened. You know, how right. far away from you when you saw this right. thing. And if you had to run, run away from this thing, were you closer to them 
in this one case where this thing at the end of the bed, the edge of the bed, did you read that story? That's bizarre. And uh, uh, I just find that every question that I asked this kid or this person, it, it was uh, his answers were were almost the same. And uh, what intrigued me about that is if it was a, it was a dream and if you were making it up, then why would a 10-year-old kid run by this thing shuffled back in the corner near the door? When this thing was at his bed, he was the most terrified. Mm -hmm. But he was more terrified because he had to run by this thing on the way out. It was only two feet away from him. It was right on the door jamb in the corner, huddled down when he ran by him. Now, if it's a dream or if it's something that you don't believe is really there, why would you throw yourself over the stairway and land halfway down the stairs and risk killing yourself? You know, that's when I when reading that story, it made me think back to a family member of mine who had a similar experience where there was something in his room, and he had to make the decision: was he going to lay there or was he going to get up? And it was the same thing. In order to get up, he had to go by it, and it it takes everything you have within you to be able to do that. And if if it's not real, then when you get up, it's going to go away. You know, it's going to dissipate, and you're not going to feel like it's still right there. You're going to move closer and be like, oh, it was just a hat rack. Oh, it's just my imagination. You know, whatever it is, hat rack. What is a hat rack? Coat rack. You know what I mean. You know, whatever, whatever it is. And you're going to feel like, you know, as you're putting yourself toward it, all those misconceptions are going to go away, and you're going to rationalize it and go, okay, it's normal. Uh, but when you do get to the point where you can confront it face and head on, and it still is something unexplainable, then to me... I know that that person fully believes 100% that that's what they experienced. It doesn't mean that that's what was really there. It just means that that was their experience and that was their processing of that experience. Mm. Yeah, and, that, and that's, to me, that's just as fascinating as if, if it's not paranormal, but you perceive it as that, that's just as interesting. And what is the reason behind that? I, I can tell you that in my own experiences, you know, when I was younger, and I've told this story on the show before, but I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would feel like there was somebody in the house. And you have stories in the book where people uh, undergo the same type of feeling. But I would wake up and be not feel that somebody's in the house, convinced 100% that somebody is in the house. Sometimes they would be in my room right over me, but most of the time I would hear them elsewhere in the house moving around. And I had the choice. I knew that if I got up and opened the door to my room and looked out there, I would know the answer one way or another. And it was... It was more about not knowing than it was actually confronting what was out there. So I had to make that choice. And I would get up out of my bed. I would stand there with my hand on the door, ready to open the door. And I couldn't do it. And it would be literally 20 minutes of just standing there, not wanting to move, not wanting to make a sound, trying to make that decision. And finally, after enough time had gone by without a sound, I would open the door. I could never do it like when I heard something just open the door because the way that I was perceiving it, the way that I was experiencing it, was that it was 100% real. And those were the thoughts, those were the memories that were coming back to my head as I was reading these stories. Uh, it's not that, you know, a lot of these stories that are in here, it's hard to armchair debunk them not being there, and I'm sure, you know, you're hearing these stories secondhand, so it's, it, you can't really debunk everything either. But when you're hearing it, it's... it's you can't say, well, I can fall back on this. You can't say to them, well, well it's probably just your hot water heater going off and you were hearing it, you know, and it sounded worse. You can't do that with 
sorts of things. They're beyond the run of the mill. I mean, some of them, when you read them, you know, you can say, I don't think I would have been scared as that person was. And you can kind of feel that way and have that perception, but it doesn't lessen the experience they have for them. I mean, some of them are like, come on, you wuss. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's you're looking at it from a perspective where you're an investigator. You've seen things. Things don't scare you anymore. These people, this might be their first experience. This might be when they were little kids and they're seeing this stuff, you know? I don't know what it is that these people saw, but I do know this, that these things exist out there. It's a strange world we live in, I'll tell you. To this day, I mean, I'm sure now... Again, we're not, we're not going to talk too much about what you do for a living, but you put yourself in a situation where uh, I'm sure that you've encountered some things on the job. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's been some head scratchers that when you're doing your, your day-to-day work, you said to yourself, look at all the explanations here, and I can only come up with something paranormal. And when it intersects that way, when it starts to find you when you're not looking for it, uh, that must kind of change you as an investigator, too. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, I guess... Uh, yeah, it, it does. It really does. Um, I, I, I go at it as in an investigation mode with an open mind all the time. And uh, it seems to me in some cases that it's impossible to be anything other than the unexplained... Uh, other world that we see at the time. Um, I really don't, um, I really don't uh, get into all of that, though. I really don't uh, hash it out like that. You know, I think you you probably are more into it because you've done more than I have. You know, um, so it's more of a more of a, a quick deduction for you than it is kind of a, a breaking it down. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, see, I wouldn't, I wouldn't equate that to experience. I would equate that to being more, you know, you having that spiritual attunement more. So you kind of have a discernment almost right away to know what you're walking into. Mm-hmm. But somebody like me, you know, I don't really know. I don't get that feeling. Uh, so unless Stephanie's there and I can say, hey, is this a ghost going on here? Unless I can ask that, like, I have to go through the process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the ghost anything that Kind of, yeah. Yeah, you know, I was on, I was but, fortunate but, enough to be uh, on an investigation with her before, and uh, we were lost. None of our equipment really, we didn't have the proper equipment at the time. I don't think we really knew how to use the equipment if we had. We didn't have any boxes to talk to us or anything like that. And uh, she was the one that came up with the two ghosts that were in the room at the time, and they were children. So it was enlightening to us to see that, because I likened that, and pardon the association with this, but I'm a hunter too. And you can walk through a field and not pick up a pheasant or a quail, but you have a dog that can sniff it out, and it's right in front of you, and you say, how the hell did I miss that? They'll be pointing to a bird right on the ground, and you'll walk right by it. So I think that there's wisdom in using somebody that has that power to connect. You know, my aunt told her that for so many years. And you say, you know, not having a spirit box and having her that she's the human spirit box. Yeah, well, yeah. And the best part about it is, like, you don't even need to go out and buy all kinds of batteries. You said, like, chocolate. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's right. It's entirely, entirely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
By, by the way, you know, feel free to start plugging the fire and see if you can get it into listening to a lot of them. I'll work on it. That might, that might work out for you. It, it works for a lot of our friends. Ask Dustin Perry. Yeah, yeah. You tweet about stuff, and next thing you know, stuff shows up at your door. Amy Bernie, cases of wine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, social media, man. We need stuff for free. But, you know, part of what you do for a living is you have to be observant, mm-hmm. and you have to use uh, intuition and deduction. As part of that, and those are, I mean, people look at certain folks in the paranormal field and say, well, naturally they're good at doing that because look at what they do for a living. You know, people say to me all the time, they're like, well, you have a journalist mind when you're journalist. And the reason why I can talk to people about their paranormal experiences and, and get the story out of them is because I interview people every day as part of my job. You see where that affects a lot of people, you know, in their, in their day-to-day living and how they can perceive the paranormal. So I think you're going into things, uh, being able to look at little intimate details of a case that other people might not be able to. A lot of us want to just go in and get the ghost story and move on with that. And it seems like with these stories especially, you know, you're picking up on the little nuances. So it's not just about the time that, you know, the whole house shook. It's about all the little things that went up in the whole house. And you're not missing the little things that people miss, and that makes it more of a universal story for a lot of people. Were there any stories that you got over the years that you wanted to put in the book that you just couldn't for whatever reason? Whether it be that people backed out of wanting to share it, or whether it be that you thought it might be too fantastic for people to believe? No, no, not really. Everyone that I asked said it was okay to do it if they didn't use their name. Some of them are pretty fantastic, and, uh, but there was none out there that I do have some for the new book. That, um, for instance, there's a case up near Boston, and it, it involves uh, somebody's death in the uh, Twin Towers, yeah. and they came back mm-hmm. to a home, and they haven't sold their home. They're worried about it, but uh, quite a wild story. I mean, when I heard, I heard it secondhand, and I talked to her. And uh, it's just, uh, I wouldn't do it until she said it's okay to do it, because it's just got too many connotations with it at this point. But what a story. Unbelievable is the ones in that book, if not more, that someone would just come back to their house that they used to be, you know? And uh, there's proof there by names written on walls and things that they do in contact with children. It's just amazing, amazing story. Uh, I got a couple of stories that are as bizarre um, with entities that uh, people see, uh, and it seems to be involved with sleeping at night, either wrecking the bed or you know, or levitating the bed, or uh, entities that might have scales. You know, uh, that that's a first for me, almost like a reptil- reptilian thing that is an alien that people talk about. So. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a bizarre concept. I mean, some people who claim they've seen them say that they're running alongside the car and the car is driving, they're driving the car at 60 miles an hour and these things are running with no effort. But it's a it's a, a spirit entity more than it is a physical... Uh, when it was described uh, in that context, it was uh, an alien, a reptilian alien. But in this, this is all I can relate to when I heard this story was that it must be a form of an alien. 
and that is something similar to what filming. Because I can't see what other entity. I've never heard of anything. You know, in the in this world that we're talking about now, there's always the same types of things, as I said before. The hat man was here, the shadow man was here, uh, the old hag was here. Um, now, one of the biggest things, and, it, and it's becoming more and more, is the black guy kids. Yeah. B.E.K. I mean, that's bizarre. I thought I had a story up near Boston on that, but I'm not quite sure that's why I didn't write it. Mm -hmm. um, they seem to have hoodies on. They were they had harmful intent, and uh, but nobody got a chance to look at their faces, and that's the telltale sign. You know, I thought I didn't encounter a lot of Black Eyed Kids stories over the years until I did an episode. I was the only one here. Nobody else was here. I remember it was a prime time show. I was working by myself because everybody else was working, and uh, I had on uh, David Weatherly, who wrote the book about Black Eyed Kids, and all of a sudden. When we're talking about it, the phone lines just lit up with people calling in and reporting having encountered black eyed kids locally. You know, somebody's like, I ran into one at Fort Tabor. There's one who knocked on my house. I live in Route 36 in Fair Haven. You know, one that knocked on my door. And all of a sudden it came crashing down as being this is happening everywhere. And I, you know, I try not to speculate too much on a lot of different theories about things because everybody has their own theories. But I think fundamentally what we're dealing with is. It's all our boogeyman. It's all our whatever is out there. The same trickster spirits that the Native Americans had, the same fairies that people saw years ago. That's all of this is just our modernized version of the boogeyman. I think that it's, it's very strange that you know we've reached a point where our our boogeyman, our demon, whatever you want to call it, has to be a technologically superior, advanced from another planet, uh, advanced species from another planet. You know, we see aliens as being that type of thing, but now it seems like we're reverting back. Now we have black-eyed kids, which is like, we would think children wouldn't be anything that would scare people, but in actuality, it's far more terrifying for people to have that happen. And it also shows, too, how much the older generation is starting to separate itself from the children and, and the, the gap that they feel, uh, just socially speaking, on a human level. It's a great observation. Uh, I think that is uh, a good point, though. I don't know what these things are. My comfort in all the stories that I've heard, I take comfort in the fact that if you tell them no, they can't force their will on according to the stories I've heard. But you, want you, you would think the same thing for aliens, and it doesn't seem to be the case. No, well, know? I think they have their way with you no matter what you want to do. But I think these things, in, in all the cases that I've heard about and seen on TV, is if you say, no, you're not coming in the house, they might hang around for a while and you'll see them a few different times. They, I think the biggest thing that bothers me about them is uh, that they seem to teleport themselves or transport themselves further down the road. If you're trying to get away from them, you're running into them somewhere in the future. You know, but what I mean by a few minutes up the road when you're traveling at a high speed, a rate of speed, to get away from them. So that's kind of almost alien to me, you know? Yeah, you drive away from them, and they're, they're, you know, they're banging on your windows, and next thing you know, they turn the corner, and there they are. There's nobody they could have got there. And nobody sees, you know, it's not like, although one of the stories that I received from the phone was of one walking down the street with a dog, I think. But you never see, uh, you never see them moving. 
from house to house. They just show up at people's houses. And, uh, you know, and, and folks look at them and they, they liken them to aliens, but you can just as much liken them to vampires, too. A lot of the same lore that goes with vampires is the same thing. You know, they, the, uh, alright, everything just kind of rebooted over here on the computer. Everything must have been the Red Sox turning off. But everything went haywire here for a moment. <laughs> so, but it seems like a lot of the same mythology of it, where you know they can't come in unless they're invited, uh, and you know you have to actually allow them into your world. And but they will be persistent. Mm. So there is a lot of conversations there, which is another reason why I think a lot of it can be tied to Yeah, I, I still think I think what that is. They seem to be alien. The descriptions of the skin. You know, they don't have talent. Yes, exactly. I think that they have something to do with aliens. I think maybe that's their way of trying to get contact or get some people. I heard somewhere that some station I was listening to or something I was reading about, about the disappearance of such people. something like three million or 13 million people missing every year, and they can account for all but a certain amount, but still, like in the thousands. Yeah, 30,000 or 40,000. Mm-hmm. And they don't know if they're using them for food. They think it's aliens that's abducting these people, but if they're using them as, as pets, as friendship, as slaves, or for food. You know, a lot of the description that we have now, too, it's not like it's a, a new phenomenon. If you look back, I mean, look at some of the old Men in Black stories, you know, from the 70s to 60s. Uh, you know, the stories uh, that you would read about with, uh, uh, hold on, Keel, John Keel, with some of his work, I know, reading about Indrid Cole and, and some of these mysterious figures that would show up around the Mothman case. So maybe the black-eyed kids are just another version of that. Maybe even some of the aliens that people experience are just another version of that. Uh, but it, it, it is terrifying to think that something can... It's almost like, because I always say all the time, the alien is one of the few things that I'm actually afraid of. It's almost like I'm cool with the idea of a shadow person or a ghost manifesting for me because I can almost wrap my mind around that and accept that. But when the aliens come in, that's a different story. You know, that's something that I can't accept and I can't make that leap in my And you know, Moniz tries to tell me all the time, he's like, well, I think you're a ghost. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know. Because if it happened then, it can happen again. I don't want to think that way. Well, that's the consensus that it happens since you were a little kid, and it happens all the time until they're done with you. Yeah. And I don't know if there's something coming in the future for all these abductees, if they're all going to get together and start a new world with these aliens or a breeding program. Who knows? But that they, that does bother me too. But I take comfort in the fact that God knows all about it. That's what, when I start getting freaked out. I tell myself, God knows all about it. I'm a big believer in God, and. Uh, I started researching this quite a few years ago, and I was intrigued by the stories of the visitations of Jesus and the Virgin Mary, all the different cases, and I, I could list them all. They're, they're really unbelievable, and when I try to talk to somebody about that who doesn't believe, it's like trying to make people, <laughs> you know, uh, it's difficult, let's put it that way, but one thing that really... Um, me that I kind of believe that this really happened was with the case in Fatima where they took this little girl 
in there, and they and they told her they were going to kill her cousins in the next room because they didn't tell the truth, tell them the truth, and she didn't budge. You know, and here here's a child that's not very educated, probably couldn't read and write, didn't have any control of the English language, never was taught, but yet. When they asked her what the lady said, she said, the lady said, I'm the Immaculate Conception. Now, where does that come from? Right there, reading that story, I said, this girl saw something. She's, this lady told her something, and this lady had a, a lot more uh, going on than, than anybody else in them days. So it had to be a visitation. Uh, here's what's, and I know I'm going to get killed for people saying this, but Jesus and Mary are one of the greatest ghost stories that we have mm. as, as, a, as human beings and as human culture. Because if you look at it, and you, you know, people who have these experiences, they don't see a Jesus or a Mary as they would have actually been. If you look historically at what the people of the time looked like and what the physical characteristics would have been of somebody alive uh, at that time in that area, you don't. it doesn't match up with the visions that people have. The visions that people have are of uh, the more uh, Eurocentric version of these figures. So they're seeing, you know, uh, the Jesus that might have existed in the Renaissance kingdom, as opposed to seeing how he would have actually looked. And that's fascinating to me because I, I guess the more likely answer, if it is Jesus the Son of God, is that he's able to come to you in a form that would be recognizable to you. And so he's appearing to you the way that you would mentally imagine Jesus to look like. But if it isn't that, if it's some sort of other intelligence, then it's using that as the, as the vehicle, as the conduit, to be able to make that connection with you. And I'm not saying, you know, if it's something else being, you know, uh, something else playing a trick on you, but I'm just saying if it's something beyond the ghost of a physical person or the spiritual of a physical person, it's able to use that. So it's, I don't know, I mean... To think that the same experience that somebody has in Fatima is the same thing as, as somebody having banging on the pipe in the house, but it could very well be. It could very well be the same type of phenomenon. Yeah, it could, but I, I'd like to think it, it isn't. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there's a story in that book about uh, a visitation by Jesus and some other uh, saint, or probably St. Michael, um, and was told, this person was told the answers, and uh, was just so dumbfounded when he said, here's the answer to that, that it was like the person was learning two and two all over again at the age that they were now, and uh, uh, just, and then to wake up not knowing them, and said it really doesn't matter anymore before he left, you don't need to tell me anymore, I don't want to know anymore, I believe that there's an answer for everything, and then the answers were uh, just incredible. Uh, so, uh, but telling Jesus or this figure that he will, he makes sure he tells everybody that he exists and I'll never doubt it again. And waking up not having the answers, I can understand that too because you would think if the person's out to lunch when you try to give the answers to the right. people what you heard. But um, in the book there, there's angelic visitations, and I always was interested in that. And I don't know if it was just trying to comfort myself that there was life after death. Uh, but I would ask people, and he said, my, well, one, one of my good friends said, yeah, my father was dying, and 
you know, he wasn't very spiritual or anything, but he would tell me when I go to visit him that there were angels in the corners of the room at night, and just waiting for him, you know, and uh, so I have that in the book, and then having interviewing someone who father had just died and had an experience in the field where uh, like a little tornado was picking up dust and one of his, his uh, son and his wife and his friend uh, came out to the field to get him off the tractor to tell him his father had just passed away. This thing, they watched this thing form out in the middle of the field like a tornado, taking up debris and brush and straw and then just running into him, knocking the wind out of him. And one of the comment was, there goes your father right now. I mean, you know, strange things happen to people. It's never happened to them before. He's been on that field a million times. And at that same moment, these things happen. I think it's more than serendipity. I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, and I'm beyond when people say, well, you know what? They just want to comfort themselves. I don't believe it. I think that these things do happen. It's just like what we were talking a minute ago. People say, yeah, I thought I saw a shadow person. But, you know, it could have been that my eyes I had dilated three months ago. And maybe there's something in there. Right. You know, it's just, uh, I, I think that we should open up our eyes, especially now with the way the world is, to see these spiritual things happen. And maybe we'll get some messages from it. There was an interesting synchronicity that happened earlier. I, uh, I mentioned to, 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 to folks earlier that, uh, to you folks in the here, that my car died earlier today. Just mysteriously, I don't know, I was driving down the road, and the power cut out completely. And, and the car died. So I put up on Facebook all the, the entire scenario of what happened. Just to pick the brain of people and see what they think so I can go about starting to try to repair it. And somebody, as a joke, put up a picture of Georgia Sakonis from uh, Ancient Aliens. And it says right on it uh, that, uh, you know, I, I don't know, therefore aliens. But right when I said that, and Stephanie had messaged me, you know, about about that, and, and I was like, well, you know, whatever, it's funny. And, and right as that happened, as that person posted that, and as we were having that conversation about it, uh, I got to the chapter in the book about the person on the pond in Rochester who had the same thing happen. I was like, you know, maybe that's not a coincidence. And if that's the case, aliens, if you shut down my car, can you please fix it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> But uh, I, I'd almost be willing to let you abduct me tonight and, and anal probe me before I have to spend money on fixing that car. Yeah. Just go slow and, you know, turn on some Barry White. That's the way. How do you tell it's getting late here? Uh, well, um, you know, we, we should wrap, uh, wrap things up here. And, uh, again, we apologize for not having you on for a full show. Thank you, Red Sox. You know, it doesn't bother me so much when it's a year when they're in the thick of things and they can win a championship. But when it's a year like this, and like, you might as well just, you know. I know that you do, but still. I don't, any other night, sure, battle it out, fight. Any other night, I want you to try to play and avoid the rain delay, but on Saturday night, if it's sprinkling, right. double-headed tomorrow. Right, I agree. You know, I see, agree. See, and it gets mad out of here earlier, too, tomorrow, right? If there's a double-headed, you don't have to about that. Yeah. So it works out better. Like Patriots are on tomorrow. Oh, that's true, too, yeah. Are you working, Patriots? I am. Oh, man. So you're going to be back here in a few hours. Mm. So we probably could wrap it up anyway. <laughs> well, if I could, I just want to say thank you for my book. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Oh, we'll definitely have you back on for, for a full show down the line where we can actually get out on the airways, take some phone calls from people, uh, and 
Now, where can people find the book if they want to get a hold of it? It's on uh, Amazon. You can get it in the Kindle form. You can get it in Barnes and Noble on the Nook. On my website at uh, outskirtspress.com slash uh, angels to aliens. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, it's a good read. I've got a lot of good reviews, and um, I'm looking forward to writing another one in the near future. So you definitely have the, the is it a sequel, or is it just another book? Uh, I think it'll be along the same lines. It might be a sequel. It'll probably be Angels to Aliens, too, but I want to make sure I have enough stories, and as good stories that are in the book now. And you have some signings coming up? Anything uh, on the docket? I just did one today at Annie's Bookstore in uh, Rainham. I hope to have another one soon in the in the neighborhood here. So I will let you know ahead of time. And I'll let you know some places you can head up. Okay. When they were super enough to let me in. When, uh, <laughs> when I had my book come out. So I'll, I'll give you that information. Well, thank you, Bob, for joining us. His name is Bob Ethier. Bob Ethier, according to the title. Which camera am I looking at now? My camera? Yeah. And the name of the book is Angels to Aliens. So pick it up on Amazon. And, uh, and if you can find it locally, you can have Bob sign it for you. Uh, it's a, definitely a great read. And it's one of those books where, even though some of the stories might kind of freak you out a little bit, as, as Stephanie is prone to get, you know, there's also a lot of stories in it that will reaffirm your faith in family. So, you'll, you'll come away feeling better about yourself. And, you know, for those of you who like to get scared, that will happen too. <laughs> All right, thank you everybody for joining us. We'll be back next Saturday, uh, hopefully over the airwaves, because we have joining us Bob Olson. And Stephanie, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about Bob? Bob Olson is very interesting, um, very interesting to the root of what psychics are all about. Yes, yes. So it's going to be a very interesting show. So uh, that will, and it's funny because you had mentioned him to me as a potential guest, and I said, yeah, I'll look into it, and I never did. And then, sure enough, out of the blue, I get an email, and he wants to come on the show. So I'm glad. There are no coincidences, <laughs> no? as George Noy would say. All right, well, that does it for this week's show. So until next week, for Stephanie, for Matt, for Bob, for Moniz, wherever he may be, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spectacular.